Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this uh, special episode of Wandering DMs, we have very special guest, multi-talented, tabletop role-playing game designer, video game designer, artist and illustrator, really one of the legends of the hobby, Janelle Jaquez. Uh, Janelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me on. <laughs> So, uh, you know, as, as I said kind of in the pre-show, uh, you are one of the top requested guests, actually, that our viewers have had in, in the last couple months. So we are, we are so delighted to have you on. It, it, I guess we'll point out it is Easter Sunday, and if, if that's a mistake, that's entirely on my, <laughs> my shoulders because I don't track holidays. So everybody agreed to get together on April 4th, and then I found out, oh, it's Easter. So uh, uh, thanks to everybody who's, who's joining in uh, today on, uh, on April 4th. Um, so Janelle, so we're, we, like, like we said, we tend to go into fairly in-depth things, but just in case someone doesn't know your prodigious uh, historical output, uh, you, of course, are the designer of the really beloved early D&D adventures, Dark Tower and Caverns of Thracia, and um, you have worked with uh, Judges Guild and Flying Buffalo and Chaosium and TSR and a whole bunch of other companies that I probably have forgotten. Um, you worked at TSR for a while as like an illustrator, and you were the the, the head of art there, I think, for like a better part of a year at least? Director of graphics. Um, I kind go. of, during that time, I kind of rode herd on the Dragon Dice product. Excellent, excellent. And and then after that, you've also done work in video games, which was actually kind of news to me just recently when I was looking at your bio. So you've, you've worked with Coleco, you worked on the Coleco versions of, of Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and worked on Quake, the Quake games at id and also Age of Empires and a whole bunch of other stuff and still going strong. I mean, you actually probably have the strongest lineup that's about to come out of, of, of our recent guests, honestly. So, um, so many things to dig into. So let me start with, let me start with your early uh, role-playing game adventures. And of course, you also uh, founded one of the earliest D&D fanzines in Dungeoneer, and from what I was reading in John Peterson, you might have been the first person to actually publish a completely fleshed out dungeon adventure. How did you have that idea? Um, <laughs> well, first of all, well, yeah. First of all, it's like I'd only been playing D&D for two months, maybe, by the time we decided to put that first magazine, or start working on that first magazine. Huh. And including work, worked out dungeons just seemed like a natural thing to do. No one was was doing it. Now, history, through history, I've found that I think I'm the third person now to actually include a fully worked out dungeon. Um, there was an there was uh, someone who was doing Games Workshop, I think, published a map in a magazine um, um, in the UK. 
And then there was uh, We Warriors, I think, uh, produced another one called Palace of the Vampire Queen that came out at like two weeks ahead of the time we shipped. So <laughs> the first magazine. So yeah, it's been a, it was, it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, it just seemed the thing to do. Fascinating. You know, it's, 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 it's really interesting to think about how young, how very young you were at the time. And sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's helpful to not realize what a, uh, what a groundbreaking thing you're trying to do. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if that helped at the time in retrospect. <laughs> um, no, it does. I mean, I think I was 19 when we published. Um, but the whole idea of being part you don't know you're being a part of history usually when you're in the middle of it. And that's, yeah. that's been true my entire life. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. So of all your, of all your old school adventures for D and D, I'm going to add, which one in retrospect is your favorite? Like which one do you really like, like really look back on fondly and would like want to see someone playing it now? I mean, I know I have my favorites, but what's yours? <laughs> This is this is going to be weird for you guys because it's not one we've talked about. It's called the Enchanted Wood, and it was something that I did for Dragon Quest, and it was one of the last adventures I wrote as part of my first freelancing um, phase. So it would have been 1981 that it came out from SBI for Dragon Quest. Great. What is, then, then I will admit I will confess that is not one I'm super familiar with. Um, what made that so special for you? It was, well, one, it's a sandbox. Um, mm. it's, it's a sandbox style play. Um, it has some very interesting, I focused on creating interesting characters in it. And um, it's got kind of, there's kind of a campaign. You can sort of follow your way through it. But it's, for me at that time, it was the peak of my design efforts because it contained a lot of conscious design decisions as opposed to, say, more unconscious ones I was making as quickly as I could when I worked for Judge's Guild. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Did you did you feel generally rushed when you were doing when you were doing the Judge's Guild adventures? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, they, they, Judge's Guild had an expectation for the amount of work I would be turning out, and it involved as many adventures. They were actually disappointed that both Caverns of Thracia and Dark Tower were such large productions because they wanted me to turn out more smaller, more okay. like um, Book of Treasure, more like Book of Treasure maps, and less like um, Dark Tower and especially Dark Caverns of Thracia. Okay. That, that's, that's really fascinating because it feels like a movie production company being really disappointed with The Godfather or Star Wars or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, hard to, it's hard to swallow, frankly. <laughs> in, in 1979, when I was working for them, those products didn't have a history yet. They weren't, they weren't famous. They were just more products that Judges Guild was churning out as quickly yeah. as they could to keep cash flow going. Hmm. All right, so you mentioned you mentioned Caverns of Thracia, so I'm going to dig into that because that's one of my favorites. And this is not nostalgia, rose-tinted glasses, because honestly, you know, I was a TSR zombie for many years, and I only discovered uh, Judges Guild products just, frankly, just a couple years ago. Um, and so, Paul, I don't know if you throw up the Caverns of Thracia. Oh, yeah, sure, it's sure, a sure. blue minotaur um, on it. 
So I ran this, uh, I, I ran Caverns of Thracia maybe about five years back at one of uh, Paul's all weekend birthdays actually with our close friends. And my partner, Isabel, this is her favorite adventure. She was like, well, that's what D&D should be like. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's a little bit of a sandbox, actually. It's, it's a very large, uh, complex. Uh, it has all kinds of uh, creepy, unusual uh, tombs and crypts and temples um, and uh, a really large underground space, a, lot, a whole lot of vertical connections and stuff like that. Um, and we, we, really, we really adored this. Did you did you get a chance to play test that a lot for Judges Guild, or was that just like write it and fire it off? <laughs> write and fire. Um, okay. <laughs> I I did not. Um, what do you say? I did not actually play test anything I had ever written until. Um, oh God, let me think. Um, I was working for TSR in the late, doing freelancing for TSR in the late 80s, and I wrote um, an adventure for them called The Shattered Statue. Right. And it was a combination Dragon Quest and AD&D adventure, because it was, it was written so it would handle both systems. Now, what TSR was trying to keep a handle on owning the Dragon Quest um, IP, because they had, they had acquired that from SPI when they acquired SPI, or at least acquired SPI's assets. And so they were protecting the trademark. At least that's what I'm fairly certain was going on at the time. But I actually sent that adventure to um, some people who played Dragon Quest and also, and then had a local group, uh, one of my friend's sons, who's still DMing AD&D, and he ran it as an AD&D adventures. And I actually sat in on those. So those are like the first time I've ever had anything play tested. Other than that, I just shot from the hip. Now, I'm, I'm curious, is that is that because you were so under the gun? Or did the idea of playtesting just not occur at that time? Um, like, like what, what led to the... To the yes. not, not place to say. Yeah, yeah, all of the above. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Now, yeah. some of the some of the bits in all my adventures came from adventures I made out of my own campaign. So not not fully realized out of the campaign, but you know there might be one bit here, one bit there came from something we had played or encountered, and it ran well. Um. So, but it really. Yeah, it was literally crank and go and trust that I knew what I was doing. Fascinating. Paul, can you put up David Heron's comment uh, three yeah, the, three comments the, ago? The, 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 yeah. the two-parter there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, you're going to have to read it out. It's a bit long. I will do that. Excellent. So, so one of our one of our uh, great viewers, David Heron, uh, is pointing out that uh, the writer Justin Alexander had an article called Jay Quaying the Dungeon in which he assigned a level of intentionality to your designs. And he essentially creates, so Alexander created a set of rules that all J. Quay style dungeons should follow. Is, it, is that, is that um, and then David's asking, do you work under an explicit or implicit set of rules like that? Is that, is that, is that surprising? Do you recommend following J. Quay style uh, 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 idiom or, or is that surprising? I do recommend using those rules that somebody discovered by analyzing my work. Um, 
back when I was designing the work, no, I didn't. I just did things I liked and played with concepts and ideas that I liked in the idea of designing adventures. So I had no. So I, I, there was no set. Of, there was no set of rules for those. What do you think? So I mean, I haven't read. And thank you, David. I haven't read the the Alexandrian article. So Janelle, what do you think? Like. What, what would you expect people to take away for their top three design idioms from your work? Um, top three. Um, multiple ways to move um, through an adventure. Nonlinearity. Nonlinearity is my big. Three-dimensionality. Especially, particularly if you're doing something for more experienced players. And then interesting characters. Great. Monsters for characters. Great. And I can see that in Caverns of Thracia. That that's, that totally hits all three of those buttons so well. And again, we're, I was so impressed when I discovered that and ran it for Paul and Isabel and everybody recently, you know, a couple of years ago was, was really wonderful. Um, yeah, actually, now I'm going to let Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I actually, uh, I've had, I do a lecture every year for other professors. Um, uh, class and those are those are the topics I hit on on that whole jQuazing the dungeon thing. Great, <laughs> fantastic, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to pitch. Okay, let me pitch one that might surprise everybody here because I do not. This is an adventure that that you wrote that I was so impressed by, and I do not see other people talking about it very much. And this is the the Talons of Night adventure. And so, Paul, if you get the the brown and purple cover, up, okay, yep, yep. so. So this is for, you know, and, and one of the interesting things is that Caverns of Thracia in the foreword, you specifically say this is a lower level adventure. It's for it's for first level adventurers, the strongest, you know, th there's no demigods, there's no artifacts, there's the minotaurs in there. Now here, Talons of Night is in the, the Dungeons and Dragons Beck Me line when Frank, Mitz, Frank Menser's rule set was out. And uh, this is in the, the master's set, and you can see the top there says for character levels, I think 30 to 35, right? So D&D character levels around level 30. And now this cover here wasn't by you, it was by uh, uh, Dan uh, Horn over here. There you go, Dan Horn. But all the interior art is all yours, right? And so when I crack this open and you, the, all the design inside is yours and all the art inside of your, is yours, and my mind was blown and it's got it's it's a huge campaign it's a huge sandbox campaign environment you've got multiple empires warring with each other it's got dungeon delving it's got demonic spiders it's got mass combat you have multi-purpose mini games right you have a, you have an inside like chess like game that gets used for chess and combat and dungeon designs and then people go into and then there's 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 extra dimensional parts and the players go into the dimension of death, turn to undead, and then finally have to wrap up with a diplomat, like a game like diplomacy, to end the war. And there's and the and the thing is, is the rest of the line is not good. Right? So frankly, <laughs> the other, you know, no offense, but but I, I reviewed right, I reviewed the entire M module line on my blog, and M one, two, three, and four, they are very shaky. They are not great, and they're kind of disappointing. And then you come out with Talons of Night for the last one and just knock it right out of the park. Uh, and it seems like everybody else really struggled with this high level idea and you really, really ran with it. Did you, did you, 
did did it feel like that way at the time, or 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 was it was it just another thing you that you you fired and forgot about? There was a lot of thought that went into this one because I had honesty again. I have never run characters this high in a game before. Um, but when you know I was working with my handlers at TSR at the time, um, you know they were explaining to me what was expected of products in this line. So I went through and touched on, tried to touch on all these expectations, which was challenging more than just combat, because by this point, your, your game characters are like demigods, um, trying to touch on the idea of puzzles, exploration. And then um, I actually, the one thing I don't think it's covered in there is I actually have to also, Ah, I actually <laughs> also had to design the Isle of Dawn. They had the shape of the world, but none of it was filled in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I Amazing. actually and got to do a lot. Yeah. I actually got and, to, and design to be clear, if someone doesn't know what that is, Isle of Dawn is a huge component of the of the known world system, and they made you know multiple box sets out of it later on. Um, and it's a huge, it's a, it's a, it's a huge and really well designed piece of work that, that you made for it, Janelle. Well, they gave me, you know, again, they gave me things to touch on, and the one thing I knew I wanted to do was this big. Oh, the, there was an Egypt-like culture that was down there, and I knew I wanted. I like ancient history stuff, so I wanted to use that setting as part of my adventure. So, you Paul, get, there's you get the there's a black and. Yeah, Paul. There's a black and white illustration of uh, like a guy leaning into the illustration, and yep. then two yep. people on the side yep. right there. So that's one of your illustrations, Janelle, from the Towns of Night Adventure, mm -hmm. from that Egyptian style culture. And, and it's, I mean, it's really delightful. I mean, there's all there's so much flavor in just that one illustration of the things you're going to have to deal with as an adventure, kind of the cultural flavor you're getting, and you kind of immediately get the character, the the characterization of the two characters. Uh, coming through uh, very, very well. So uh, once again, it's it's big, and you've got strong characters, and there's there's multiple connections in the in the in the in the mini the spider web mini game. Actually, it's all in that one picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, yeah. I also paint. I also painted the spider web mini game board um, as a faux piece of marble. So that and the, yes. and the playing pieces go on the back of it, and. The game it's based on is an old. It's an old game called Nine Men's Morris. So, I didn't actually design the game. I just stole that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. That you know, be, uh, clever uh, stealing is uh, well regarded here on the show. So <laughs> we we respect that very highly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> So, so it doesn't sound like you did uh, that. I mean, you answered one of my questions was, uh, did you do much super high level play at the table like that? And it sounds like, no, you didn't. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. In fact, Fascinating. evil, evil truth. <laughs> I wasn't even running D&D anymore when I designed most of those adventures in the late 80s. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. Have um, you said have you um, since, or did you really. never go back to D and D? Okay. Um, yeah, I went back to swords and swords and wizardry for a while, 
Um, I like Swords and Wizardry. I like the Swords and Wizardry rule because they were the set of rules I discovered when I got back into doing guest appearances at um, RetroCons that was closest to original D&D. Hmm. At least my opinion. You know, one thing I noticed is the Dark Tower cover, right, went through a couple different publications. And I noticed at one point, Dark Tower had for Dungeons and Dragons on it. Um, and then at a later point, it said for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, did you did you did you do actually do any changes for that kind of uh, labeling? Or was that beside the point, as far as you're concerned? Okay, the original publication of the adventure would have been for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. It was an it was designed as an AD and D module. At some point after it was published, um, if I I don't know the exact specifics, someone inside TSR from the time may have the details. That Judges Guild was told they could not do any more AD and D products. Mm. So. Because I think it was because TSR at that point had discovered there's a market. Hmm. And so after that, everything became a D&D product. Oh. So well, there was no okay. change. As far as, as far as I know, there were no changes made. When I was working on Caverns of Thracia, that's when the change happened. It was originally being um, pushed to go into um, AD&D, which gave me access to the monsters, the first monster manual. And we were told, no, you can't. And so I had, I already had all this design. I think I had my cover art already done. And so I had to go back in and the, what I think I call dog brothers, the jackal headed creatures, mm -hmm. I, they had to be, they were originally jackal wares. Right. Jackal okay. wares is an AD and D is a D and D only. Yeah. So I couldn't use it. Hmm. Okay. So they hmm. became. Dog Brothers. <laughs> nice. Nice. I bet there's been a lot of that kind of thing over the years of having to reskin and, you know, echo an official an official monster uh, in order to in order to deal with that really unnecessary licensing issue that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it it's going that. on even today. If you're doing if you're doing D if you're doing um, D twenty books. There are things in the 5e cat monster catalog that you can't use. So, um, thinking the biggest one is a carrion crawler. You ha you cannot use a carrion crawler in a um, D20 game book. So it's suddenly I have carrion creepers. Really? Um, <laughs> or they're carrion beasts or yeah. things like that. You know, they're not, they're basically big worms with tentacles to paralyze you, but we can't use the name. Huh. I, you know, I didn't know that was the case for the carrying crawler, actually. That's really surprising. Huh. That's yeah. It basically, basically you have to go deep dive into their, their, um, their agreement. Um, not the one you publish inside the book, but the one you use to, uh, to actually guide your designs. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, John, there was a uh, sorry, uh, Paul. There was a there was a comment from John Miller a couple minutes ago about asking about Janelle's first campaign, which I think was a great great question. So probably about seven 
seven comments ago from John, if you can find that. Yeah. Um, So whenever, if we find that, I think that what John, what our viewer, John Miller was asking was, and I think this is a great question is, what was your first D&D campaign experience? Were you playing with somebody else or were you DMing right out of the, right out of the box? Okay. My, my first, my first RPG game. So we'll go with, we'll start with that was over Christmas break. 1975. Um, I had found D&D that fall or discovered D&D through a couple of um, reviews inside of the original Space Gamer. Um, But my brother, my brother is the actual gamer in my family. And he's got this copy of the Space Gamer as a freebie and there were a couple reviews in it and he read it to me while I was working at the college radio station. I was hooked. That was this, my life changed that day. So I ordered D&D, but my books, the books, the order got backlogged. He ordered Tunnels and Trolls, the original, um, the original version that was basically mimeographed. And he ran my first campaign for me, my first adventure I ran. And then I went on a college trip and didn't come back for a, over a month. So the first playing experience I had, we had a friend of a friend come onto our campus and run a D&D adventure for us. Hmm. I ran a, a wizard, first level wizard, and she died the first adventure by carrion crawlers. <laughs> <laughs> all comes back to the carrion crawlers. It all oh, comes back. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> Oh. You know, I saw, I saw that, Frank Menser. I, I saw. I'm sorry. I saw, I saw Frank Menser writing that is like a canonical example of something that they didn't dial in the danger level right, and he's had more player deaths with carrying crawlers than anything else. So it's a it's a common experience. <laughs> <laughs> but afterwards, there were three or four of us on my dorm floor who all played the game, and we would alternate being game master. And so we were constantly playing in each other's campaigns and each of us designing our own original content, things like that. And that's where eventually the Dungeoneer came from. But, you know, we, so we never got to, to very high level in that point. Um, I think in my first go round of playing, I don't think I got past um, sixth or seventh level. Um, we even made up some late characters later on so we could play a little higher level. But we were all we played mostly low level games back then. Fascinating. Yep. Yep. I think that's I think that's a lot of I think a lot of people have that same experience and um, I think I was I was reading uh, like an old uh, strategic review article by by Gary Gygax saying he expected to have to have, like someone would have to play like 80 games or something like that in order to get to ninth level. And that's like a lot of game. That's a lot of sessions in one game. And I don't know if anybody manages to do that anymore outside his, outside of his basement. (laughs) 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 Fascinating. Yeah. I haven't played 5e yet, but I just understand they've changed the mechanics for that. So you move along a little faster. We okay, so we uh, we so we you know we play old we play old school stuff. I I still use the original D and D little brown booklets. 
Um, and we had a um, we had you know we Paul and I had a tournament D and D show last year called the Big Bad, where we had different teams coming through, like in a turn, like in an old school tournament situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had half a dozen episodes. People would go through the same scenario. They'd get scored by us, and we used fifth edition. Um, and I would say like half of the players, half of the you know traditional players, said we would love to see a season using something like Swords and Wizardry or original D&D, that it actually, in some ways, it's it, the, the original one still went faster than the current mm-hmm. product. Um, am I crazy about that, Paul? Yeah, or is no, that... no, no. I mean, the thing that jumps out to me about when you talk about high-level play in 5th edition is the, the weird XP chart, right? Which, if you graph the XP per level, it's not like a nice constant formula because uh, they tuned it they, they they like specifically changed numbers i think around 10th level ten, like getting from 10th to 11th level is a lot less xp because they found people were quitting the game at that point or, or quitting characters right and, and remaking them so i think that's it's still to this day i think a thing right that people generally are not playing the high level the higher level uh part of the game yeah correct and also as a that, game master yeah, go ahead. Yeah, as a game master, when things start to get higher level, it's hard to adjust the challenge. It's hard to make things mm-hmm. both challenging yet not instantly fatal. I had that problem in other game systems as well. Um, RuneQuest back in the day when we played it, um, characters got to a certain point and you got down to having to provide monsters that could do one-shot kills if the dice rolled right. And it's became very difficult to have characters who could um, compensate for that. Yeah, yeah. And I find they really do start to, in those fantasy games, they do start to look like superheroes. And, you know, sometimes I've embraced that and sometimes I've, I've resisted that. And if they can fly, everybody can fly, they can all turn invisible, they can teleport, they can, they can pretty much do whatever they want. And it's really hard, it really is hard to make an adventure to challenge someone who can fly invisibly teleport scry crystal ball anything they want in the world yeah um uh, yeah interesting um what you know speaking of speaking of uh, old school type rule sets like original D or swords and wizardry what is like what, what's something in those rule sets that you were always bothered by that you would want to edit or fix in traditional oh, D&D? My. Hmm. Organization. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I appreciated about the old, old, old rule books was the art in them. Not that the art was good, but that you remembered. I remembered where to go in a book based on the artwork <laughs> that was on. The adjacent page. Yeah. So, my think, one of the things I appreciate that did change later on was the level of organization in the rule books. I mean, you you mentioned earlier playing uh, Tunnels and Trolls, and I seem to remember that like the story there, right, is that Ken Saint Andre got a copy of OD and D, the little brown booklets, and couldn't make heads or tails of it. Like, loved the idea, <laughs> but was like, I, how how does this work? And so he just wrote his own <laughs> system, and thus you get Tunnels yeah, and Trolls. <laughs> and and he used. And he'd use dice you can grab out of your Yahtzee game or right. something else or um, off the yep. poker ta- or off the yep. uh, uh, craps table. Yep, yep. 
Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah I know younger, that, younger viewers yeah. may not remember a time when uh, polyhedral <laughs> dice were not ubiquitous, but uh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that you had you had some dealings uh, over the years with, with Tim Cast, Janelle, um, and he, mm-hmm. he comes to mind because um, he, obviously he tried to edit... <laughs> He tried to wrangle and edit some of the writings by Gygax and other people uh, of that ilk. Um, and so we and and, and we're going to have actually surprise to our viewers. We're going to have him on in two weeks, actually, as our guest um, cool. uh, was uh, um, how, how much I, I, I believe that Cask, uh, you know, actually hired you at TSR as a, at least as a freelancer, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Maybe I'm mistaken that about that. Point- yeah, I think mistaken. At that point, um, I did. I was throwing artwork over the transom at TSR. I mean, or at Dragon Magazine. I mean, I do right. sketches. And I was doing this for a couple of publishers. I just do sketches and put them in the mail. I mean, it was pretty common for how freelance cartoonists worked back in that time. You see, send artwork to a publisher with an envelope. Um, with stamps on it if they didn't like it and they would send it back. Hmm. So I was sending stuff to TSR and I actually wrote Tim Cask and asked for permission to use the name Dungeoneer and whether it was okay for me to produce a fanzine and got a response back that it was okay. So um, that was kind of my the limit of my interaction with Tim at the time. Actually, when I met him in person, I, I, he was kind of intimidating. He's not a big guy, but he was kind of intimidating. Very intense. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we, really several changed. of us are having flashbacks <laughs> right now. <laughs> and then years and true. years and years and years later, years and years and years later, when we were on a, a bus as both guests at a convention here in Texas, um, he started telling me the deep, dark secrets of uh, TSR of that time frame. So I will let those stories be his to tell. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So to make, go ahead. Do you have something, Paul? No, no, go on. Go on, Dan. Okay. So, okay. So make sure that we don't miss out. Let me, let me, let me jump forward to, to more modern stuff. And as much as I want to ask about video game stuff, cause that's, Paul in my background too. Maybe maybe I'm going to put that to the end of the show. So um, you told me that at, speaking of Dungeoneer magazine, you told me among the things you're currently working on, Janelle, is a fifth edition revamp of one year of one of your very very early adventures in Dungeoneer. Can you tell our viewers yes. about what that is? Okay, I'll, I'll I'll spill the beans on it. There's in the third edition of the Dungeoneer. Let me go back a little forward. A number of years ago. Um, Judges Guild released back to me the rights to material that I had created for the Dungeoneer. Not the Dungeoneer itself, but the material I had created for it. Um, so it's a non-exclusive, so other people, it's a non-exclusive give back, but whatever. So I took about, I had been, um, I had converted one of the adventures to work with RuneQuest um, years ago for my own personal campaign. And so I started with that conversion, and I took a, these, the adventure from the third issue of the Dungeoneer called Borshak's Lair, and I have turned it into a 5e adventure. And the writing is done 
mostly done. I need to go back in and make some changes because I ran two separate blind tests. This is this is how I know, you know, this is my mature stage of being a designer. Um, I contacted, the, I had a lot of people that volunteered a blind test. And if you don't know what I mean, what a blind test is, it means I have no involvement in the play test. I just provide the material. The game master runs the adventure and then gives me a report back. So I have no idea how it was run. I have no idea what they did, how their players reacted, other than what they tell me or respond to my questions. So, yeah, I did. I did a five E conversion. It was challenging because, again, you come back to the rules are so different between OD and D yeah. and five E that an orc who was cannon fodder in um, OD&D for a second or third level character is a major challenge for a fifth or sixth level character mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's, it's, it's that, it was that different. And then I took characters who were just, you know, made a major, a minor boss and they became a major person. They became a personality. So there was this, this kind of rethinking of how to design an adventure. And then I added more more material, I clarified things, I simplified some things that were just, they were way too complex originally. And ex- moved the map around, expanded the map, added an above ground, put some lore behind it. And by the time you're done, you've got one dungeon level that's a pretty large book. <laughs> Great. Fascinating. Um, do you find that, so you mentioned you found some stuff that was too complicated and you had to simplify. And frankly, I was dealing with some stuff like that myself recently or last night. Do you find that a lot? Do you find that a lot of your early stuff was, was like overly Baroque in some ways, or is that unusual for you to find? Um, I would say these days I'm a bit more Baroque, but, um, no, this was this was something that one of my friends had written. It was a series of illusions that occurred, and even then, it was kind of pushing what the rules could do. And I finally just decided to to step outside the rules and say, "This is a mysterious event that happens." I simplified it down to a couple of read-through paragraphs, and I've been told I need to shorten those even more because they become kind of a monolithic block. Um, it just, it becomes something that the players experience rather than something that they're involved in. Interesting. Interesting. So I see that our, so our, our, our moderator Bacquius is wants to know more about how you deal with that issue of the fifth edition monsters being so much burlier. So, so Bacquius is asking, when converting to fifth edition, did you try to keep the spirit of the idea the same, or did you keep the exact same creature item spell? So, in other words, were you were you taking an orc and bumping it down to a kobold, or um, how are you dealing specifically with that issue? I went for spirit as opposed to um, detail. I I think I did I did number reduction. Um, I upped the difficulty level, the expected difficulty level of the adventure. I think it originally designed it for low levels, and I upped it. I think it's a tier two or three now. Mm, interesting. I, I'm not completely familiar with the tier structure. Um, 
so I upped the tier, the, the tier difficulty of the adventure. So we expected, I think it's just below fire. People have, so it's like second tier because people aren't expected to have fireballs. That sort of thing. Okay, gotcha. Um, because that that's a that's kind of a break point in the, the whole game yeah. structure is that it's that change from individual attacks over to weapons of mass destruction, and that happens whether at a fifth level magic user. That's that's traditional. Um, so that was that was part of it. Um, a lot more clarity in the way I describe things, um, and by clarity I mean granular detail. Um, okay. So I, I break things out so that when you look at a description, this is where you expect to find the, the treasure. This is where the monsters are. Um, this is where um, different aspects that you expect in the room are to be found, but they're all they're organized inside the room, which it great it greatly advance it greatly changes the description from a ten by ten room with ten orcs in it to kind of a detailed description of what this place is, what you see, the things you have in it, how you, how these characters might role play with you, how they might respond <laughs> in combat. So yeah, I got a lot more granular and a lot more text. Mass, yep, that makes sense, that makes sense. Uh, you know, on, on the topic of uh, early adventures, um, Stephen Wendell is asking, and, and I had, so as usual, pronunciation is always something that we discover. This is, to me, this is the joy of the live video is finding out how to pronounce <laughs> things properly. So Stephen Wendell is asking how to pronounce the name of, I believe that was the first adventure in, in Dungeoneer. How do you pronounce that? Fachelrak. <laughs> Fachelrak's tomb. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's what the apostrophe is for, right? <laughs> no, I had actually, I remember back in the day, somebody called it Falcar's tomb because they didn't even want to try the pronunciation. <laughs> that's just offensive. That's just offensive. you got to make more of an attempt than that. That's, that isn't right. I don't know. They were Canadian. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> I expect better from my Canadian brothers and sisters. That, that, that's, that's just not right. That's disappointing. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, so we should talk about the, the really big work you did last year uh, in conjunction with Goodman Games for the Judges Guild Collector's Edition. You oh guys had a big, yeah. successful Kickstarter for that. How much, how much work was involved with that, Janelle? Well, for me, what I ended up doing, and we'll see, I haven't seen layouts yet. Um, I went back to that time period in my life and found as many photographs, magazine articles, um, different artifacts that I could scan in to give them to, in the book. I mean, it'll be cool if the Playboy, nap, Playboy Club napkin appears in the book because that was one of my artifacts from my first visit to Gen Con in 76. <laughs> I saved that in my scrapbook. Oh, that's great. And so I scanned in all these images, wrote captions for them. Yeah. Um, and that was the bulk of, that was at the first round of the bulk of the work I did for them, um, curating all this content. The second, then I provided them with original copies of the Dungeoneer which they had um, scanned and cleaned up. 
Hmm. You know, I sent them my original copies of the Dungeoneer, which they cleaned up. So these, it's going to include the original Dungeoneer in the original format, not as it was compressed and rebuilt and occasionally retypeset in um, the Adventuresome Compendium that Judges Guild produced. Hmm. So that went in there. And then I wrote, I think it was eight different essays that were a historical, my journey through game, discovering D&D up through the time I left Judges Guild. <laughs> um, so, and I, tr I took it from a standpoint is I wrote a song parody for each one, taking the, <laughs> taking the song that was number one around, no, was like number one around the time that time frame I was describing, wrote parody lyrics mm. appropriate to what I was talking about in the article. Um, like I did the Sound of Silence, I think was one of them for near the end of the Dungeoneer when it was, um, you know, about deadlines. <laughs> um, then wrote in a, a little bit of history what was going on in the world at that time, just like a paragraph and how that might have been impacting things. And then my experiences working on the Dungeoneer or playing D&D, um, each one with a, you know, a, a, a story arc, not just a continuous um, article. And I did that for, I think, eight different times. But I also discovered it includes, like, my first visit to Gen Con. And that's, like, one of the longest ones because it, it was the story of a buddy road trip. Hmm. Um, this is my, my brother and my roommate and I, or my, actually one of my friends, because one of my college friends, because we weren't out of college yet. And then um, later on, each each thing I walked through down to actually selling the Dungeoneer, working for Judges, and going to work for Judges Guild, and then leaving Judges Guild. Um, a lot of my time at Judges Guild is covered in the interviews I did with Tavis Allison for the book. So... Yeah, I provided a lot of it's it's literally a book about one year of it's a book that focuses on one year of my life with the history leading up to it. Fantastic. Because I was only at Judges Guild a year. I was at Judges Guild one year. Wow. That's not a lot of time. <laughs> it's funny how, how relatively short periods of time can be so, you know, intense <clears throat> in anybody's life and for some of us, it was this last year. <laughs> Quite a few of us, I suspect. Yeah. One of our uh, one of our viewers a while back, uh, John Miller, asked Janelle um, uh, if you if there's any possibility of you doing additional work with Goodman Games. Granted, such a such a big project that was. Is there any is there any possibility of more Goodman Games um, work in the future? I'm currently doing. I'm at, on board as a consultant um, for their conversion of Dark Tower to um, 5e. <laughs> I'm not doing the work on it. Um, it really requires a more experienced hand at 5e than me. And then they're also doing a DCC conversion. Um, so I'm doing conversion work. I've been um, helping with the art direction on the cover, um, making sure that it carries the spirit of the adventure. Not necessarily. It's not a tran literal translation of my original cover. It's it's different, um, but it's more in the mood and spirit of the adventure. 
Fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm, and I do I do illustrations for their fiction magazine. Great. So that's great, I great. Saw, I've got a good relationship with them right now. That's awesome. You know, on that point, what um, do you have a preference for design work or the artwork, or does it do you prefer it to be a synthesis? Um, my brain says I have to do a synthesis <laughs> because literally I can only work on certain things for. I, I lose interest in projects if they go on too long. So I'm constantly cycling between multiple projects as my interest level fate, uh, wanes and waxes on them. Um, so I've got three books in process. Um, I'm doing artwork for my video game company, um, all sorts of different things. And then for a hobby, I walk, walk around my table and I paint miniatures for five to 10 minutes long enough to distract myself and then get back to work again. Do, do, do you have any within reach? Can we see that? <laughs> <laughs> not, not within reach. I would have to go around the okay. table. All right. You know, I, would, I mean, now I want to see that. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't uh, get to the to the video game stuff because I was kind of curious to ask. You know, you've done all this this amazing design work and and uh, you produce this beautiful artwork, and I'm curious. Like, do you write the code as well? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no. I have my business, my current business card for uh, Dragon Girl Studios lists all the things I do except convert caffeine to code. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my wife's job. Yes, um, she she is the programmer. So, so you've outsourced that one part. I see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's impressive. I, it's impressive that uh, you know to do all those different aspects uh, of the work. I'm personally glad we finally found something that Janelle doesn't do in game, in game development. It, it, it took a while. It took us 15 minutes, but we finally found something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've written basic. God there dang it. There you so, go. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not well. Uh, well, not well, you know. <laughs> Who does? Who does it right? Who does it? Am I right? Am I right, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, before we run out of time, we should we should touch on the um, uh, the works that are currently uh, on drive through, right? Yes. Good. Thank oh. you. Thank you yeah, for the reminder. Yeah, of course. So those. So let me see. Uh, I think you told us about D Dragon Secret, which is which is for Swords and Wizardry, like we were talking about, is currently right, on drive through. Right. And the other one. And, and okay, so years ago, I read the the Andre Norton uh, novel Quag Keep. Um, so there's Dragon Secret on the on the um, yeah. uh, on the screen right now. And years ago, I read the the novel Quag Keep, uh, adored it. I think I was in high school, honestly, set in the world of Greyhawk. And uh, you have an homage. You have an homage to Quag Keep that is called Quag Keep. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. Quack Keep, which is a a duck based a duck based campaign setting. Um, and it and we were just talking about miniatures, and this was written specifically to tie into the miniature line from from who again? Um, Star Hat Miniatures in New Zealand. Um, the sculptor is Darcy Perry. It's his company, and we um, collaborated on this on the miniatures. Meaning, I came up with ideas. He sculpted some of them to my ideas. Most of them are his, and then. I wrote them in as characters into this um, setting. 
And while the setting seems like Funny Animal, it's a very serious game set. It's a serious game setting. It's hmm. the there's stuff. There's humor. It's full of puns. It's full of horrible, horrible duck puns. But um, the setting itself is um, about the people who live in this Nexus Point world um, near a place, near a ruined fortress called Quack Keep. Fantastic. And it has That's... a really deep history. Okay. <laughs> You know, one thing I'll th one thing I'll, I'll touch on actually is I think that there's a there's a there's a thread through your work, Janelle, of things that were supposed to be silly, things that were supposed to be silly that turns around and be, is like really uh, more solid than I expected. And there's a couple products that that you worked on that like I I probably stayed away from a while, thinking that they were they were marketed as being silly. Uh, you know, one of them would actually be um, the work that you edited from Carl Sargent, the, the top ballista product, which has this yeah, really yep. ridiculous cover on it. And then when I read it a couple of years ago, it was like, this is a really interesting campaign setting, actually. This is like really well done. Um, and then you also um, did one level in the 1988 uh, Castle Greyhawk product, actually. Right. And of course, yeah. that's holy ground. Right, and not many of us would dare would dare would dare touch that. But your, you know, it's 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 generally considered to be kind of a silly product. But your level is actually again among the more solid uh, adventuring sites in that in that uh, in that adventure. Thank you for that. Yeah, it was one of that's one of those pro the latter one there um, for Castle Greyhawk. That was a product that had a lot of potential. That if an editor who truly cared about making it into a solid thing had coordinated the work of all the contributors or at least come in afterwards and mesh them together better that could have been it could have been one of the most amazing products ever but it really was just cranked out um i'm sorry to say and i do know who the editor was but um it it had the opportunity. I mean, I even tried while I was working on it to reach out to the other authors and pull bits from their stories into my level. Hmm. And yeah, we were also told, you know, do what you want. And yeah, it could be funny. I, I wonder how much uh, intentionality is in in that uh, design, Janelle, of, of of taking something that on the surface level looks like it could be silly or funny, and then like is is it is the joke that it's no joke? Like is that like uh, are you intentionally then twisting <laughs> well, the knife there to say, haha, but turns out not silly at all. Well, <laughs> if I remember, my story was called "There's No Place Like Up," and it was a play on a little bit of um. Uh, Wizard of Oz and pulling monsters that no one ever used out of the Fiend folio and making them into weird characters and a lot of the expectation of vertical travel in a level that normally you don't experience. Like if I remember one thing, there's one of the parts of the level is climbing up the outside of a Gothic cathedral. You never go inside, it's just climbing up the structure of the Gothic cathedral. Um, so it was, there was that level of kind of goofiness, but at the same time, it was a serious adventure. Another one, you know, you didn't touch on, it's called uh, Legendary Duck Tower, 
and Other Tales, which I did for RuneQuest. It was the last product I did for Judges Guild. And it sounds goofy, but the reality is it's a serious adventure location. And a lot of people, it's their favorite adventure, from one of their favorite adventures for RuneQuest. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. Um, and, and and there's a recurring duck theme. Then it's <laughs> I, I got labeled. I got labeled as the duck lady a long time ago. <laughs> you're typecast. Now you're typecast, Joe. It's the duck designer. <laughs> Right, we have oh uh, we have just a, a few minutes left, Janelle. I just wanted to check in and see if there's anything that we had didn't get to touch on that you were really hoping to uh, to talk about before we uh, lose our well, time. One of the things I'll mention is way back in the late '80s, '90s, I did a character history book set called Central Casting. Mm, I think, in um, fact, it's basically <laughs> using dice. It's using dice to create a integrated character history where it's. Full of random things that happen that seem to tie together fairly well. I am rebooting this. Um, really? I, I, oh, it's one of those things where I the, red to, the rights to the first book reverted to me quite some time ago. So I am doing a almost a ground-up reboot and taking a book that was 100 pages. And I am scared to think even how long it's going to be right now. But the content, there's probably between five and ten times as much content in the book. And that's just taking the original uh, focus, not including all the material I've added that are new based on character, history, ancestry, cultures. Um, heck, there's even an entire page called Descriptive Words that just... Here, roll three dice and get a word that describes your encounter. This is the character, how your encounter changed because of these words. Hmm. That's fantastic. Sort of uh, several of our and viewers are, are, are several of our viewers are saying that central casting is one of their favorite products. Actually, so Joshua is saying that he adores central casting, and John is is raving for the mm -hmm. reboot. Um, is the Rub is that is that a systemless product or is that is it that is specific like okay? It's completely systemless. And in fact, I've even gone through and the original had links to how it might you might convert it for work with um, like 19, late 1980s game systems. Completely gone. Um, it's systemless kind of in the same way that um, Flying Buffalo City books are systemless. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm even kind of linking, I'm, I'm designing with the intent that maybe this will be used by people who don't even play games to write characters for, backstories for characters in their fiction. I don't know. Awesome. Clever. Super smart. Super smart. We'll be, we'll be really eagerly looking forward to the, the, next, the next iteration of Central Casting. Yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be done. <laughs> Another feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dan, any any yeah, final I mean, thoughts that uh, that you want to get out I, before we wrap up? Here? I am not going to add anything to Janelle Jaquay's uh, uh, mighty biography. <laughs> I, it goes, I, I cannot add anything to that. But but if if you're if you're not familiar with Janelle's uh, output, you should definitely look for all the all the different products we've talked about. Uh, if you if you haven't played Dark Tower or Caverns of Thracia, look for the, the upcoming, if you're new school, look for the upcoming 5th edition or DCC release. 
uh, or look for the old products. Uh, again, I, I love that Talons of Night product. So I, I would recommend if anybody's going to do high level stuff, look at that and just enjoy getting your mind blown. Um, as well as uh, the uh, the uh, Judges Guild retrospective and the the upcoming new uh, 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 casting product and other uh, duck themed adventures uh, in that in that area. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, uh, if if you viewers have um, you know are looking for these products, I'm sure there will be links in the description text of of our video right here uh, on YouTube. So go go ahead and check that out uh, for those that we know uh, where they're available. And of course, we'll be keeping an eye as the newer works appear uh, and get that get that information out to you as well. That's right. And if you're new to the channel, uh, the Wandering DMs channel, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on a number of social media like YouTube and Twitch, and we're on Twitter, and we're on Facebook, and we're on GitHub for coders. Uh, I don't have any basic yet going there yet. Probably that's coming soon, I would expect. Uh, and we would appreciate you following uh, us for, uh, for new upcoming shows and other spectacular guests. Uh, if you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can do that. Uh, they're available at our website at wanderingdms.com and through various carriers such as Google Podcast and iTunes and Spotify. Uh, if you are listening to this show on one of those other podcast carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. Uh, that helps other folks, other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. Uh, upcoming shows this week on Wandering DMs. I think Paul will be back with another uh, 10 Dead Rats D&D Warhammer mashup live game on Thursday night from 8 to 10. Uh, I will be back with Isabel for more classic D&D miniature wargaming on Saturday night at 8, uh, as we do. Uh, and of course, uh, can't go without thanking our generous patrons for supporting Wandering DMs. We could not do things like get spectacular guests like Janelle Jaquay's on the show without your support. If you're in a position to uh, join our patrons, please do go to patreon.com slash wandering DMs and you'll see we have three different tier levels, bunch of benefits like private Discord server, benefits on merch, opportunities to participate in polls on things that we uh, do for upcoming shows. Uh, the other thing that I always forget, I don't remember. Anyway, right, and we have a chat with our viewers live right after the show there today. Go. So look there forward to that. That thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one of these days, I'm getting, I'm getting so close. I'm getting yep, so close. Yep. Uh, we'll Janelle, thank stuff. you so much. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> Wonderful. Janelle, thank you so much for uh, for spending your time with us here on uh, on Easter Sunday. We 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 can't thank you enough for that. <laughs> yeah. You're quite welcome. It was fun. Awesome, awesome. Maybe we can get you back another time once once the the upcoming products are actually released and we can take a look at that. We would I'd love like that. that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Great. Don't forget that uh, Wandering DMs, uh, our talk show, is every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you'll uh, come back and join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.